You're listening to Trending with Timory, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. National speaker Timory Millington has been a passionate advocate for life as long as she can remember, helping Gen X through Z answer the call to true feminism and authentic manhood. Timory holds a master's degree in biblical theology, and she covers this week's hottest stories from a Catholic worldview. You're listening to Trending with Timory. It is so good to be back with you. Father Tim Grumbach is with me in studio. We just finished another episode this week. Oh my gosh, I hope you go back and listen to it. We're talking about this battle of the culture of life versus the culture of death. We talk about the story actually of the lately deceased Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gianna and the other seven people who were on the flight. We talk about the walk and the march for life and maybe how fired up you are right now to get further involved in the pro-life movement. We also talk about about the crossover of an increase of witchcraft in our culture and how it's really feeding more and more into our entertainment and some scary quotes actually from some of the creators. Some of them, Father Tim and I were talking about this, are surrounded by books in the rooms, the creative artistic rooms and writing rooms of spells and of various books having to do with demonology and things. And so be sure to catch that episode. Right now, we're going to be talking about this idea. Here we are talking about culture of life and death. Now we want to focus on where do we go next? And I think the really big emphasis that we need to make, we have to live a purpose-driven life. Because if we don't have purpose to everything we do, we will do anything. We won't do anything, actually. We'll either do anything and just kind of go along or we'll kind of get into this rut of nothingness and laziness that is so prevalent in the culture. So Father Tim Grumbach is here in studio with me. He is the associate pastor at St. Augustine Parish and involved in so many great ministries such as Life Teen. We have other organizations such as Young Catholic Professionals. Yeah, also excited to be a part of a Culture Project, uh, Focus, uh, Net Ministries. There's so much going on here in Los Angeles that the Archbishop has brought in and it's really a beautiful thing to be able to be even a small part of it all. And speaking of Los Angeles, like you said, with Kobe Bryant and with so much else that's going on, uh, the the Walk for Life in San Francisco, the March for Life up uh, in Washington, D.C., there has been so much going on over these last few days. And so it's, a, it's an awesome thing to be able to be here to chat a little bit about it and see what God is going to be doing over these coming weeks. I want to talk first about... How, again, this idea, if we're not going somewhere, we're not going anywhere in life. And, you know, maybe you feel this way where you kind of get into that rut. You're on social media and then you're on social media for a while. And you're like, oh, what am I doing? Or maybe you're responding or sending stupid texts. Like, why did I even say that? Or why am I continuing to engage in either this conversation or this argument? Uh, maybe those moments where you're distracted perpetually, not only by your own needs, but the needs of others rather than what you're supposed to do. Uh, whatever distraction or waste of time it might be, it's getting in the way of having purpose at times. And in reality, we might blame the distractions, but in reality, it's the fact that we do not have a direction with where we're going. And so I think we can talk about it on two levels, both a practical level in our day-to-day -day tasks, but also from a spiritual dimension as well. 
And Father Tim, I know something for me that I've really been working on this year. You know, I've always been one that's been very, very organized with my time. But as the end of last year hit, the last three months were just a whirlwind. Um, you know, I ended up, I, some of you I may have shared this, I ended up being diagnosed with two autoimmune diseases. I wasn't feeling well. The end of the year and kind of the busyness of all of the work and the holidays were coming in. It was just really hard to stay focused with everything that was going on. And so in the new year, I've really been working on making sure that I'm not overloading myself in terms of tasks, but actually blocking out time to accomplish everything. And so with that, I keep thinking about how it's so much easier to stay on task with what I'm doing and also to be willing to maybe take those distractions because I'll recognize if it has a higher value than what I'm supposed to be doing right now at this moment. Yeah, just in the spiritual life, distractions can be a, a treasure trove of the way that God speaks to us, is that sometimes even just in our prayer, we will come across these distractions and we'll ask God, you know, obliterate these distractions, get rid of them for me. They're drawing me away from you. But it very well may be that God is allowing us those distractions to point to what's really, what we are really attached to in our hearts that are not of him. And so he may point those distractions out to us, uh, but say, you know, don't follow them, don't go with them, but I just want you to be aware of them. And then we give God permission to transform those distractions. And they may be you know, something that, that God has been pointing out to us for a long time that we've been trying to ignore or that we've been using to avoid what God is really asking of us. So for example, I'm in prayer, I'm fasting, and I'm suddenly getting very hungry and only thinking about food, only thinking about food. And that might be God pointing out to me, you know, you've got this real attachment to food, not necessarily as something that nourishes you, but something that distracts you. And so God allows us that distraction and we just, it takes discernment, uh, working with a spiritual director, being honest in our prayer and with our director to say, look, these distractions keep coming up. Is this something that I should ask God to get rid of or some, or is this a way that God is even speaking to me? So it's, uh, you know, the, the distractions in our daily life can take on the same form. What are we overly attached to that in a sacrifice of obedience we can offer to God? I love that. And you know, one of the things that helped me, I keep talking about this time blocked calendar is I was actually listening to a podcast. Patrick Coffin had this a guest on. He was the author of Indistractable and Near Isle, I believe is how you say his last name. God help me when I have to say names sometimes. I and mean, it is like the worst and most humiliating thing sometimes to do on air. I, I just have to throw that out there. Oh, what about trying to remember names in a parish, oh, right? Gosh. Oh, my people are so good to me, but I am. <laughs> the worst is sometimes when people walk up to me and you probably have this happen too. And they'll say hi and I'll say hi. And they'll look at me and they're like, you don't remember my name? And they'll say that. And I said, Oh, I said, I remember faces. I said, I actually do remember your face. And sometimes I will. I'll say that if I do. Well, you don't remember my name? No. Oh, I met you at this conference five years ago. Good Lord. I'm so sorry I fail. <laughs> it's a very difficult. So always come and say hi. But sometimes the pressure, uh, we are not perfect. And, oh, far from it. And I think that that's some, actually another lesson in a purpose-driven life. We're not going to get everything done perfectly. And this book, Indistractable, is really emphasizing, you know, things such as being intentional with your time. Don't blame the distractions, but really know, well, if you know what you're supposed to be give, doing at a given point in time, you're going to get it done. But a lot of people go, man, at the end of the day, I didn't get anything done. It's because you didn't have purpose. And I think that that's such an important thing that ties into our spiritual life and how, like you said, Father Tim, the two go hand in hand. What's our spiritual purpose? 
focus? Are we setting aside a specific set of time in our calendar to pray morning and night? maybe in the middle of the day as well, because if you're not taking that time for prayer and saying this is when it will be done, you actually might not even recognize that you didn't even do it. Right. And it, it always is going back to that transformation of those distractions and that God is the only one who can transform those. Some of the greatest prayer and spirituality on distraction comes from St. Vincent de Paul, who had a, a great charism for prayer and the formation of priests, but also a great charism for care for the poor. And so he wrote in a letter Look, if you're praying your office, you know, the breviary, the liturgy, the hours in, in private, and then you hear a knock on the door and it's somebody who's homeless has come to seek your help, then leave your prayer to go to service. In other words, leave God to go meet God, mm-hmm. leave Jesus to go meet Jesus. It's not a distraction in the worldly sense, but it could be God reaching out to us in another way. And so that's a transformation of distraction, but we have to discern which distractions are because of our attachments and which ones are, you know, God reaching out to us in another way when he knows that we're ready to receive those so-called distractions. I keep thinking when you said that of the motto of St. Benedict in the Mm -hmm. monastic lifestyle or at Labora, Mm -hmm. right? Work at prayer, prayer at work, and how we have this focus on the two go hand in hand. And this is what it means to live a contemplative lifestyle. But at the same time, I get it. Things get in the way. We get off task. We need to be fortified and built back up. And so not only is it important to set aside time to know what tasks we're working on, but it's also important to surround ourselves with the people and things that will inspire us to stay on task, not just for the day, but our whole life. And that might be something like taking an annual or biannual retreat. Maybe it's meeting up with certain people that are so inspiring or maybe so holy that just absolutely edify us. These are things that are incredibly helpful. And it makes me think too of business practices as well. You know, people will do in business, you know, we're doing this with trending right now. If you have any ideas, by the way, feel free to reach out. We're, we're, you know, casting the vision for the year. What is it going to look like for trending? What are some of our goals? What are our new marketing goals, topics? How can we be more purposeful in what we're doing? Are we doing that with our lives? Or is this just something that the business world gets to do? Right. And what I'm hearing at the, the heart of that is this desire for a spiritual friendship, even within the business model. Yeah. Um, I can say within ministry, that's one of the most important things for me is not first seeking how we are going to make a successful ministry. You know, that will come as a gift from God when our ministry is first about being faithful. And it happens within this context of spiritual friendship. I was meeting with a young man yesterday, discerning with him, or you know, he'd like me to be his spiritual director. And every time anyone asks me that, I, I get a little nervous. Um, just that's my own you know, worries about my own self. But we're already friends, this young man and myself, and we're thinking, is it a right balance for a friend to be a spiritual director? Or do we keep this at the level of a spiritual friendship that we can both benefit from? And so it's a, a tremendous discernment that's happening. But almost every ministry that I'm a part of or, or helping to start, I want it to be about friendship among those people who are the ministers. And then our ministry to others comes from that place of a spiritual friendship where God is at the center of our friendship and we're facing God together, running towards God together. And we say, oh, I'm not the only one here. That's a, a, that's a, a great image given to us by C.S. Lewis is that um, we, you know, friends can say amongst one another, oh, I thought I was the only one. 
and then to recognize in that friendship and then it overflows that that is a spiritual love that overflows into ministry, into business, into anything that we do in our lives. And it is what gives us purpose to keep moving forward. That's Father Tim Grumbach. You're listening to Trending with Timmer. You just touched on something that I kind of want to take that side path on, and that is spiritual director, choosing a spiritual Mm -hmm. director. You just gave a description that so many people experience where someone goes, Mm -hmm. man, I really want this priest to be my spiritual director. Maybe they're spiritual director hunting. I know a lot of people who share this experience and then they go and ask the priest and the priest is so hesitant and so, you know, oh, you know, let me get back to you. Or maybe they just outright say no and it crushes people's spirits. What advice do you have from the perspective of a pastor, Mm -hmm. but also from your own experience with your own spiritual director of um, building that, um, building up to ask, how to ask, and then choosing the right person. Right. We know that there's a, a lot of issue with the, the priest's availability, you know, as uh, pastors and, you know, uh, not as much with associate pastors, but there's a, a busyness that happens with administration and uh, everything else that happens in the parish that sometimes it's too difficult for a priest to take on spiritual directors, uh, spiritual directees in a consistent manner. So that's usually the first and most practical reason that a priest can't take someone on, but it's also a matter of discernment. And that's why I mentioned some kind of nervousness sometimes whenever someone asks me, because my first thought is like, yes, I would love to do this. I want to do this, but it really depends on what can help the person who is being directed. You know, it's not about how I feel about the relationship. It's not about how it might help me as the director, but it's, you know, so I agree to meet with people once, twice, maybe even three times and say, we'll reevaluate it after we've met those few times. And if this is not helping you grow in your spiritual life, then I don't know what more I can do. And, and if you maybe need to seek someone else out mm-hmm. and then that can feel like a defeat. But if you are with somebody, you know, if you're looking for a director that God doesn't want you to have as a director, please don't force it. Don't try to force it. That's a good um, point. Some advice for looking for a priest is uh, if you can get to know the priest and in a sense, his prayer life, if you see him as a prayerful man, that's probably number one for the, the reason that you would ask him to be a spiritual director. It's easy to look at somebody as kind of like a, a celebrity priest and say, oh, I want him to be my spiritual director because I've heard him give these talks and, mm-hmm. or, or I, I like sometimes an unhealthy attachment, right? It can be an unhealthy attachment and that will come out in direction when you realize, oh, this priest is not leading me on my spiritual journey. He's leading me on, my, on, on his. Mm-hmm. And you know, something that stands out to me when you're saying that is I remember there's a quote from St. Teresa of Avila where she talks about choosing a spiritual director. And she talks about if you have the choice between a holy priest and a wise priest, she actually says, choose the wise priest. Right. For that very reason is that a holy priest may lead you onto his own journey, not your own. A wise priest will know the difference and be able to lead you onto your own journey. You know, mm-hmm. But ideally, we want a wise and holy priest as our <laughs> spiritual director. Um, but... Uh, but yes, I, I know that uh, I know the struggle is real uh, in my own search for spiritual directors over the years. I've what I find most difficult personally is when they actually challenge me and uh, I think, oh, gosh, I want this other spiritual director because it might be easier for me. But the reality is that uh, often a spiritual director will be uh, the chisel in the hand of God that uh, um, makes it very difficult for us to be comfortable. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a beautiful thing about spiritual direction. That's Father Tim Grumbach. You're listening to Trending with Tim Ray. There's a story that you sent over, Father Tim. We've been talking about in vitro fertilization, surrogacy, a lot about fertility. But one of the things that has come out over the last week is that the French Senate has actually voted. And this is actually a big point in history because France France has really had a lot of restrictions on in vitro fertilization. And for those who don't know what that is, in vitro fertilization, also known as IVF, is a form of conceiving a child outside of the loving act of a husband and a wife. It's uh, new life is created within a Petri dish. Uh, There's usually some form of infertility that's happening happening among the couple among the two persons uh i do at least that's what we would hope was happening and i mean that would be if we're having a good view of ivf and even then there's no good view but you know that's where you could see a perspective where people really are trying to help with sciences uh but the problem with ivf is again human life is created outside of the loving act of a husband and wife in a petri dish and what happens is often multiple usually the norm is multiple lives are created and implanted in a mother's womb that is already not friendly toward new life. And so many of those babies die in the process. And in fact, many of those babies, sometimes two, four, five at a time, will start to grow in the mother's womb, but she only wants one or maybe two. And so what happens is they selectively choose which babies to abort. And so abortion is at the heart of in vitro fertilization, as is destructive behavior with regard to new and innocent human life. And not to mention, you guys, it's not what we're diving into fully today, but the impact of IVF on a woman. Most uh, cycles of IVF are not effective, do not produce a child, and are extremely damaging both to the woman and her well-being physically, but emotionally and psychologically, and to the spouses and other people involved. I know people who have never been able to recover after having gone through IVF um, types of procedures. Right, and I know that we've talked about this before, and I've mentioned that you know I know a family who has had a child through IVF, and the, the child is a beautiful child of God, and there's no way that we deny that. Right. But we also are are very weary as a Catholic Church of the 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 moral predicament of what better word can we use in creating you know right. uh, uh, engineering manufacturing these embryos, mm-hmm. which are you know some many many are still frozen and it it creates this predicament morally and ethically that the Catholic Church has even acknowledged that we don't really find a, a perfect solution to this situation. And uh, it does no. say it condemns IVF right. in totality, but yes. there's no perfect solution. What he's pointing to, mm-hmm. sorry to cut in there, no, no. is just to all of the frozen embryos mm-hmm. that we have frozen. Well, the problem is, you know, all of these frozen embryos, what do we do with these new babies? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what do we do with them? There's no good, clear answer or option. Right. And it all comes back to the, the dignity and the sanctity of human life, as with every ethical issue in the Catholic Church. But looking at this, uh, this bill that's passed in the French Senate, what we're seeing is a lot of the same language that we will hear about equality and fairness. And it can be considered a very emotional argument Mm -hmm. of saying, how can you allow heterosexual couples to have IVF, but not uh, not same sex couples, as is the the passing of this bill is to allow same sex couples 
to use IVF in order to have children. And we look at it as the possible commodification of human life, this manufacturing of human life. And there's actually some very powerful language that comes from uh, um, some of the bishops, some of the French bishops. We have uh, Archbishop Michel Alpetit of, of Paris, who points out that, that a child is a gift to be received, not an order to be manufactured, and that the absence of a father is an injury that can be suffered you know, in so many ways in life, we point out. And mm-hmm. it, that doesn't mean that uh, single mothers are somehow sinful or, or have less dignity as parents. But he continues, but it's monstrous to inflict it on purpose. And so to purposely manufacture children, bring them into this world, into a a house where they will not have a father, is something that we as a Catholic Church stand up against. But how are we going to walk with the families that are living in these situations is a big question that that we will have to face as Europe uh, continues to... um, uh, descend into this uh, this manufacturing of children, uh, for lack of better language. But you you mentioned too that Europe is in a sense not quite as ready to face the repercussions of in vitro fertilization as we are here in the United States. Oh, absolutely. That's Father Tim Grumbach. You're listening to Trending with Timory. You know, Europe, it's so fascinating because they actually criticize the United States because we've gone all the way with in vitro fertilization. And you, you know, we see in France, as Father Tim was talking about, it used to be that only married persons or people who had been cohabitating for at least two years could engage in in vitro fertilization. And they had to be male and female. They had to be a couple. But now it's that any single person can engage in vitro fertilization. They're not legalizing surrogacy yet. To them, that's still going too far. But we're slowly seeing the morality of Europe tick away when it comes to fertility. And the fear is, is that the next thing will be surrogacy in Europe. I was telling Father Tim when we were talking yesterday, you know, in San Diego, we are a hub for in vitro fertilization and we will see all the time if you have a friend who's you know having a child and if you're in the NICU ward at all, there are tons of children that are A, being born prematurely because they're IVF babies and often babies who are conceived via IVF um, are often born prematurely and have other health issues going on. And two, there are tons of, no other way to put it, but French couples who are living a gay lifestyle who are coming to take a child from a surrogate that was both um, gestating and carrying the baby here in the States. Because in France and in a lot of Europe, surrogacy isn't even legal. And it's because, as Father Tim said, it's not just the commodification of children, but it also becomes a eugenics trade, as Archbishop Mikhail talked about. I think that this is what's so scary is that we're seeing, we're at a point in history, and Father Nicander, I'm going to actually post some information about him um, here on this podcast, if you want to find it at radiotrending.com, but he talks about gene editing and how we're selectively choosing the best possible genes, the best possible outcome of what we perceive, you know, the fewest risks for disease to create, you know, the same vision that Margaret Sanger had, a race of, as she said, quote unquote, thoroughbreds, mm. you know, kind of having this mindset that pushes out what she perceives as the lesser, more poor or populations that are meant to be looked down upon. And it's absolutely shocking. And people are really upset. We saw over 40,000 people, 41,000 people take to the streets in France marching in opposition of this bill that France just passed. 
And some of the reasons for that aren't just that it's now opening up, you know, the risk of commoditization of the baby, not just eugenics, but even the fact that people are intentionally using IVF to create new babies for what they call um, things such as save your siblings so that they can help save other baby existing children by providing umbilical cord cells for adult stem cells and various things. And this is horrific that we're using one life to destroy it in order to support another. It's the same problem with abortion. Yeah, and that was a something that came up in a, another situation happening recently is a, a, a report that we, we didn't take a look at it, but I remember hearing about it recently that uh, down in Mexico, they were impregnating women and then forcing them through an abortion procedure. And it seems to have been for some scientific research, for some kind of uh, forwarding of other procedures. And this is something that is a, a, a growing and terrifying rates throughout the world is this disregard for human life that we are trying to take control of something that we are not meant to take control of. And when you say that, Father Tim, it reminds me of the abortion movement. How are contraceptive pills created? How are abortion procedures created? They go to other countries Mm -hmm. and prey on poor populations to test contraception, to test abortion methods. And you guys... It's a, there's a reason why they're going to other countries, third world countries, where they can cover up the deaths and the abuse and the damage done to these women. This is a culture of death that is truly at the heart, not just commoditizing children, but it's really destroying women and their health and their spiritual journey. Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. The United States sees a continuous plummet in the number of kids. Really shocking headline. We'll be talking about that in just a second with Father Tim Grumbach. First, a message from our sponsors. Solidarity HealthShare is simple to help pay for affordable, quality health care. They enable the community to share in each other's eligible medical expenses. You choose a doctor that you want to see. Even integrative and alternative medical treatments are eligible. Solidarity HealthShare helps pay for NAPRO technology and costs associated with natural family planning. Solidarity, Solidarity HealthShare is dedicated to both faith and your health care. Information is available at SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Father Tim, I'm looking at some of these headlines. You know, we see that millennials can't afford kids. The United States has seen a plummet in the number of children Other ones were seeing that United States lawmakers are even considering a baby bonus of $5,000 at the birth of a Mm. baby and more tax deductions because we're following in the path of most of the Western world. We're seeing all over Europe where they are having to entice people to have children now with financial tax cuts. Right. And what we're looking at is how expensive a child can be. There's, you know, some information here about it costing, you know, $230,000 to raise a child. Uh, you know, that's the, those are the numbers that they're throwing out there. But a lot of the reasons that they'll give are these financial and economic reasons. But we know as Catholics, you know, uh, that there's something more than finances happening here. 
that this, you know, for one, we're living in a society with a contraceptive mindset. Right. And not just when it comes to children, but when it comes to so many other things having to do with faithfulness and obedience of uh, desiring this control over something that God has allowed us to cooperate in, in, yeah. in bringing new life into the world. But not so much about just completely giving away our control, but letting it be something that we cooperate with. That, that is the great gift that God has given to us as humans. But the words that they're using is, you know, it's, it's economic, it's financial. And I've got to wonder, there's something deeper happening here. I remember, I've probably mentioned this before, but, you know, being over at Disneyland, you, you see so many families and, and I say, you know, parents of little children at Disneyland, that they're the real heroes, right? They're, they're the, the real kings and queens. But I remember seeing recently uh, two different couples, all four of them, all four of the people wearing a shirt that said childless millennial in the Disneyland Mickey Mouse font uh, uh, on their shirts. And I thought it was so ridiculous, but it speaks to a, a real deep problem in our society that, you know, I don't know those people's hearts. I don't know, you know, if they were wearing those shirts as a joke. I don't know what their uh, their private relational lives are like. But it does lead me to think that, you know, that's a very contraceptive mentality is I'm going to spend my money to go to Disneyland, but I also take pride in being one of these childless millennials who, you know, Disneyland is about the experience for me rather than actually having children and bringing them here into this fantasy land. I think it comes back to this idea of purpose mm -hmm. and not just what is the purpose of my life, which is, I think, the overarching issue at hand, but also what's the purpose of sexuality? What's the purpose of my sexuality, of even being male or female? Is there any purpose to it? And we're at a point in history where people are saying, you know what? No, being male doesn't matter. Being female doesn't matter. We're interchangeable. There are no differences. And sex is just about having fun versus it being meaningful versus it being purposeful. And I think that's part of the reason why there was such a backlash in this recent video, a 20 second video that went viral on Twitter. There was such a backlash. It had to be taken off of the internet. This girl was brutally attacked over it online. Talk about cyberbullying here. You're listening to Trending with Timmy. That's Father Tim Grumbach. So this video, Nurse Holly on Twitter posted, again, like a 20 second video, basically. And it's a really cute video. It was taken down, but someone I think reposted it, making fun of it. And she's just standing there, beautiful nurse, beautiful woman. And she's standing there and kind of just doing this cute little dance. And at the same time, she's pointing to this little bubbles of text that are coming up. And basically, she's saying the best way to prevent STDs is to wait till marriage to have sex. That was all the video said. And wow, people were so angry at this woman. People were talking about how it's irresponsible rhetoric and how, you know, it's not talking about safe sex and they're sick of people using platforms such as this. And maybe you should just have safe sex and use condoms. And, you know, we could get into the nitty gritty and talk about how condoms don't protect you from everything or most things. You know, we could talk about how 50% of the culture almost has HPV and that condom does not protect you from HPV and that there's no cure to HPV and that you can get HPV by sorry warning for the little ears here, but via 
anal, oral, vaginal engagement. I mean, this is all important to wake up and hear. But the reality is, is I think people hated Nurse Holly so much, Father Tim, because she was speaking to a lifestyle having to do with marriage. They don't even know what marriage is. Mm. They don't even know if they want it. They don't even know if it matters or is important. So why are you even talking about it when sex is just recreational? Right. And she wasn't even getting at the full Christian message of what abstinence is actually a a means for. Uh, so many people hear that word abstinence and think of it that that's the end. That's the that's the very purpose that we're aiming for with this kind with this expression of sexuality. But that's missing the point is you know, abstinence is a, a means to a greater end, and that is an end of growing in chastity and mm-hmm. chastity being so much more than this big no. And I think that is what frightened people so much when they saw this video and why they showed so much disdain, because what they saw in that was somebody is telling me no, that I can't live the way that I want to. And in a culture and a society of radical uh, independence, of absolute independence for anybody to tell us no to a lifestyle that we want that's something that's going to get a lot of lash back Uh, and so what she maybe could have actually done a better job of i mean you know what it was a TikTok video right and so you don't have a whole lot of time on that to get into the depth of christian theology of marriage and sexuality right but the point is well taken but why is abstinence a means rather than an end it's because you know, and, and this has a lot to do with natural family planning and some of the arguments against that that people have is that isn't that just another form of contraception? Right. Again, chastity in the Catholic Church and the Christian teaching is not just this big no to sex. It's actually a great yes to sexuality and of which sexual intercourse is one of the main and most important expressions of that, but that it, it has its proper purpose and place within marriage in order to bring new life into the world, but also to bring communion between husband and wife. And so to have that kind of yes to sexuality, which is different than the world is expressing, it sounds like one big no. And so whenever somebody hears about abstinence teaching, you know, about teaching abstinence from sex, um, that's an important part of teaching chastity, but it's only a a small part of it. The rest is we've got to learn how to grow in the ways that we show and receive intimacy with one another. And that takes different shape in romantic relationships, in platonic friendships, in spiritual friendships. And it all has to do with the growth in love, which is a greater yes to God's creation and his creative plan, rather than this big no to something that I want to do. Mm And I think when I hear what you're saying as well, it's reminding me of the BBC uh, masterpiece version of Victoria. And if anyone's been watching that awesome timepiece, but one of the stories that they show is Prince Albert's brother, Ernest. He's a prince and they end up showing he kind of lives this, you know, more wild lifestyle, ends up following the path of his father. uh, And he ends up at one point contracting a sexually transmitted disease. He's going to have it for life. Um, he's contagious. At that time, they didn't know as much about STDs. Uh, and I think that, you know, they said, oh, well, if the symptoms go away, you might be okay to marry. But if the symptoms don't go away, you should probably, you know, never marry and not give this mm-hmm. to someone else. At the same time, Ernest is finding that the woman he would like to marry is actually available now. Um, and it's so tragic for him. 
and you know, there's a lot more to the story that I could explain, but ultimately it shows the example that when you have a sexually transmitted disease, it doesn't just impact your life. It impacts the lives of others. Mm -hmm. It impacts the future children. It impacts your ability to find a spouse. I mean, all of these things, it throws your future out of control. And so we're living in a culture where so many people have sexually transmitted diseases that are spreadable, that are incurable, that could be passed on to children, that they're losing hope in the idea of marriage. They don't even want to think about having children because they don't even know that they can get over today or tomorrow as a result. And so this is where we have to speak that message of chastity, of fidelity to your vocation, whatever state in life you might be in, that life is more than our sexuality. Life is more than, you know, the fun of having sex, but life is to be oriented toward purpose. Even if that means maybe you can't have children. Maybe you can't get married as a result of this. I'm really glad that you brought that up and it, it sheds some light that is probably not talked about or even realized about the Catholic Church as we welcome everybody into the church. Yeah. You know, the church is much larger on the inside than the outside, right? So that there are going to be people in our pews and in our communities who are suffering and struggling with these sexually transmitted diseases, but feel like they have to keep it so hidden, you know, not that we're asking them to reveal everything about their past, but it makes them feel on the outside that they don't, they're not able to speak about this and they're not even able to receive healing about this in the church. And so we need to find some way to bring healing to those who know that they're not going to be able to enter into these relationships that they want to because they're struggling with something that is not even being spoken about in a healing way in the church. And so we have a way forward to grow in chastity and the love of God that God has placed into our hearts in order to make his gift of sexuality something that is even a light to the world. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. You're listening to Trending with Timory. I'm so inspired by the story that you sent me, Father Tim. Father Tim Grumbach is here with us on Trending today from the Los Angeles Diocese, St. Augustine Parish. You sent me this video, a documentary called All or Nothing about Sister Claire Crockett. Wow, what an incredible story. And talk about a modern day saint. And as you said, we were talking yesterday on the phone, someone who's so accessible to us. Tell us a little bit about her. Yeah, well, I love her story. And as I love all the stories of the saints, because this is something else that we were talking about as well, is that I was not drawn to the faith, having grown up in the faith. I didn't stay because of the systematic theology as important as that is, I stay because of the saints, because of the stories, because of the gospel. And so as important as our theology is, it's never going to be interpreted more beautifully than it is by the saints. So I came across this on Twitter a week ago or so. Somebody posted these beautiful images of this, this young sister who just looked so full of life and said, you need to know the story about Sister Claire. And so she was born, I think it was 1983. So she's a little bit um, older than I am. And what a beautiful story to hear about this young woman, this, this girl from Derry in Northern Ireland, who was kind of nominally Catholic, but never celebrated her Catholic faith, not because of anything, uh, you know, religious objections, but because growing up in Northern Ireland, because of the political situation between the Catholics and the Protestants, that she never really celebrated you know, the Catholic faith in her family. But then as she was growing up, it turned out she was very talented as an actress and as a singer. 
And so she was very you know, extroverted and, and everybody loved her energy and she was very good at it, that that's what she wanted to do with her life. But as she you know, became a teenager and, and you know, entered into the, the life of drinking and smoking and partying, she began to realize more and more that this lifestyle was not going to fulfill her, mm-hmm. but she stuck with it. You know, she kept distracting herself from God's voice in her life during that time. Well, and it was neat because, I mean, she even had scouts looking at her mm-hmm. and kind of starting to coax her to go to Hollywood, um, groom her, I mean, to go to Hollywood, getting her ready. And she was having tons of opportunities in commercials and right. films. She was partying. She loved boys. And she had this lifestyle that a lot of people would say, wow, you've got it all. Yeah. You've got it all. Yeah. And one of the best parts of the story uh, as a teenager was that she was about 16 years old and a friend of hers got sick and couldn't go on this spring break trip to Spain and so gave Claire her ticket. And she didn't realize until like the last moment that it was actually a Holy Week pilgrimage <laughs> to a monastery. <laughs> Hold on. This part yeah. made me laugh so yeah. hard because she's going on and like, wow, I get to go on this trip to Paris. She mm. thought it was going to be a weekend or however long it would be of partying. Right. And she, you know, I love smoking. Right. I love drinking. I love boys. Like this is what I thought it was going to be. She had no clue what it was. Yeah. And so by the middle of the week, while they were having these great faith formation discussions, <laughs> somebody asked her the question, um, you know, what does the Eucharist mean to you? And the story, as it's told, she, you know, took a, a, a drag from her cigarette and, you know, blew out the smoke and said, what's the Eucharist? You know, as if I've never heard a teenager say that before. <laughs> but to go from that moment until Friday, Good Friday, she was standing in the back of the church during the liturgy when they go up and reverence uh, and venerate the crucifix. And there's even video of this. There's yeah. video from this weekend where she had this conversion experience. She was in the back of the church and felt like, well, everyone else is going to the front. I guess I have to do this too. And as she kissed the feet of Jesus on the crucifix, she said she could hear God's voice speaking to her heart saying, I did this for you. Your sins did this to me, but I did this for you. And she went back to her pew, sat down and began crying. And a sister came to comfort her and ask her if she was okay. And and all she could say was, he did that for me and no one ever told me that. Mm. You know, why did no one ever tell me that Jesus did this for me? And you would think with a conversion experience like that, that her whole life would be turned around from that moment on. No more smoking, no more drinking, no more partying. But she went back home. You know, and it's interesting because the nuns will talk about her being there. And even, you know, kind of a couple of years after that, how she was a personality that was just extra mm-hmm. and she was extra in my mind I think obnoxious um, but like she was extra and you know they thought man she's so selfish she's never going to come back and you know this is it and yet the priest actually kept saying no she's going mm-hmm. to come back mm-hmm. she'll be back here yeah and when she just kept having this experience of God speaking to her you know and some nuns walked by and and God said I want you to live a life like them and so she was wrestling with this in her own kind of discernment as she, she even says it. We have video of her on the microphone saying, well, I want to be rich and famous, but I also want to be a nun and I don't want to get it wrong. So I guess I'll have to be a rich and famous nun. And you know, <laughs> little did she know that she would, in a sense now become a famous nun, but it was not going to be the way that she expected it to. So when she was 18, she sat down with her parents and her family and, you know, as the story is told, she's got a, a beer in one hand and a cigarette in the other. And she says, I'm going to be a nun. And they almost kind of laughed at her. They didn't fi- believe yeah, her. They, they figured she'd her. be back in two or three weeks yeah. in, as some kind of failure. Time to move on and get back to the, what you're good at. But 15 years later, you know, she has served the poor and the young in the U.S., 
in Spain. And then finally, she ends up in Ecuador, where there's this minor earthquake that happens one night while she's teaching some of the young women there. And this bookshelf almost falls and, well, falls and almost crushes one of the young women. And so they have this conversation at dinner uh, that night, and they're talking about death. And they ask Sister Claire, who's been a nun for 15 years, who would have known it, that, um, you know, are you afraid of dying? And she says, why would I be afraid of dying if it means going to be the one I've been waiting for my whole life? And it's just so beautiful that as a teenager, she was, you know, what's the Eucharist? And then at this moment in her life, she could say, I, I can't wait to go yeah. and be with the one I've been longing for my whole life. Well, the next day, there was another earthquake, a larger one, and the building that she was in with five other young women fell down. And she died with these women, having given her life so completely. And so in a sense, not in the worldly sense, but she has become a famous nun in a way. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't because of her talents, as important as those were. It wasn't because she was nice. It was because God had made her new. And that's what's drawn so many people to her story. And we don't know. One day she may be named a saint. But what's most important now is that we have this beautiful story of somebody that maybe people in the church would look at her and say, no way. Well, they did. No way is she going to become a saint. And look at what God did through her, by not by making her nice, but by making her new. And so these stories of the saints, like Sister Claire, are what bring the gospel to life. And it it makes me want to pray more. It makes me want to serve more to see the saints, to see these people who seemed so far away from God, but Jesus came looking for them and they let themselves be found. That's Father Tim Grumbach. You're listening to Trending with Timory. When I was looking at Sister Claire Crockett's story in the documentary, All or Nothing, and I'll post that on social media. You can find it at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. It really stood out to me is that after that initial experience of going on that retreat, she, you know, got up on the mic. You see the video of her saying, you know, I'm either going to be, you know, actress, be really famous, or I'm going to be a famous nun and kind of pray for me. She has this awesome experience, but then she goes back to, and she'll share this, like a life one year of just complete sin. And, you know, although she wanted God, like she lived absent from him, essentially the drinking and the alcohol, all the alcohol and the smoking. And she would go on and on. I think this is something for a lot of girls and especially girls who can be a little boy crazy she going i loved boys and i think that that's something that's so um ingrained on the heart to have this attraction for the other whether you're male or female that that's okay that's you know an inherent desire that is there but good can come from all things you experience and how ultimately she kept going through and she recognized there's this one point where she says this did not fill me And I think that this is what so many of us are experiencing in the culture right now. We might have this massive, you know, conversion experience, but then we go on kind of living our life the same way. But as we're going through the days, we don't have purpose in them because we recognize we don't feel filled. There's this emptiness, this lack of purpose and direction. Yet when you read about After her conversion, as she's become a sister, Sister Claire Crockett, I mean, man, Father Tim, looking at the story, they interview all the different kids that she's worked with. And one group of kids in in particular, at one point she was working in Jackson, Florida, and she formed a group of six-year-olds for their first Holy Communion and continued to teach them. They started a rosary group. She'd take them to adoration every day. The kids would go back to adoration after school. And we're talking about six-year-olds. And so they show these six-year-olds talking about Sister Claire after her death as they're now teenagers. 
And they're such pious and devout kids. The way they speak of the stories with her and how they would talk about how they just wanted to watch her and be in her presence. I mean, this is a woman who is full of joy and full of purpose in her life. Yeah, and as much as we're drawn to her story, what makes her story something we're drawn to is that it's Christ's story is that ultimately we're going to forget about her, yeah. but we're going to remember. Yeah. We're going to remember what God did through her, mm-hmm. and what Jesus continues to do through her. And so, you know, we, we can we can ask for her prayers. We we can ask for the prayers of our loved ones who've gone before us, as people who have drawn us not to themselves but to Jesus, and make us want to follow Jesus more. Looking at the gospel from this last Sunday, it's Jesus calling Peter and Andrew, and then James and John. And sometimes we feel like, you know, Jesus must have played some kind of like Jedi mind trick on them, like, follow me. Oh, we will follow you. But the next day they would have woken up and said, wait, what did we do? We didn't mean to do that. That, But it was something that actually completely rewired them as they had this encounter with the one they'd been waiting for their whole lives. And it made them into something new so that they would follow Jesus around for the rest of their lives. And it doesn't mean they were perfect. They failed over and over again. And then they failed at the cross. But it was something that had so rewired them that they, it changed everything and nothing was ever going to be the same again. And so that's what we look to the saints for, to be reminded that Jesus can make us not just nice, but he can make us new and he can call us to somewhere from which we can never return. Father Tim, where can people find you on social media? On Instagram at Father Tim Grumbach and Twitter at Father Timothy Grumbach. We'll be sure to tag him as well if you want to listen to more episodes where Father Tim Grumbach is here on Trending. Head over to Radiotrending.com. You can subscribe and listen to all the episodes there, including the ones with Father Tim. This has been Trending with Timory. To book her to speak or learn more about her guest, visit Radiotrending.com. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes. Google Play, or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. 